Section twenty two of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume four. Section twenty two essay on lord beaconsfield eighteen o four to eighteen eighty one by isa carrington cabell benjamin disraeli earl of beaconsfield born in london december eighteen o four died there april nineteenth eighteen eighty one his paternal ancestors were of the house of lara and held high rank among hebrew spanish nobles till the tribunal of torquemada drove them from spain to venice there proud of their race and origin they styled themselves sons of israel and became merchant princes but the city's commerce failing the grandfather of benjamin disraeli removed to london with a diminished but comfortable fortune his son isaac disraeli was a well-known literary man and the author of the curiosities of literature on account of the political and social ostracism of the jews in england he had all his family baptized into the church of england but with benjamin disraeli especially christianity was never more than judaism developed his belief and his affections were in his own race benjamin like most jewish youths was educated in private schools and at seventeen entered a solicitor's office at twenty-two he published vivian gray london eighteen twenty six which readable and amusing take-off of london society gave him great and instantaneous notoriety its minute descriptions of the great world its caricatures of well-known social and political personages its magnificent diction too magnificent to be taken quite seriously excited inquiry and the great world was amazed to discover that the impertinent observer was not one of themselves but a boy in a lawyer's office to add to the audacity he had conceived himself the hero of these diverting situations and by his cleverness had outwitted age beauty rank diplomacy itself statesmen poets fine ladies were all genuinely amused and the author bade fair to become a lion when he fell ill and was compelled to leave england for a year or more which he spent in travel on the continent and in egypt nubia and palestine his visit to the birthplace of his race made an impression on him that lasted through his life and literature it is embodied in his letters to his sister london eighteen forty three and the autobiographical novel contarini fleming eighteen thirty three in which he turned his adventures into fervid english at a guinea a volume but although the spirit of poesy in the form of a child harold stalks rampant through the romance there is both feeling and fidelity to nature whenever he describes the orient and its people then the bizarre brilliant poser forgets his role and reveals his highest aspirations when disraeli returned to london he became the fashion everybody from the prime minister to count d'orsay had read his clever novels the poets praised them lady blessington invited him to dine sir robert peel was most gracious 
but literary success could never satisfy disraeli's ambition a seat in parliament was at the end of his rainbow he professed himself a radical but he was a radical in his own sense of the term and like his own sidonia half foreigner half looker-on he felt himself endowed with an insight only possible to an outsider an observer without inherited prepossessions several contemporary sketches of disraeli at this time have been preserved his dress was purposed affectation it led the beholder to look for folly only and when the brilliant flash came it was the more startling as unexpected from such a figure lady dufferin told mr motley that when she met disraeli at dinner he wore a black velvet coat lined with satin purple trousers with a gold band running down the outside seam a scarlet waistcoat long lace ruffles falling down to the tips of his fingers white gloves with several rings outside and long black ringlets rippling down his shoulders she told him he had made a fool of himself by appearing in such a dress but she did not guess why it had been adopted another contemporary says of him when julie excited his command of language was wonderful his power of sarcasm unsurpassed he was busy making speeches and writing political squibs for the next two years for parliament was before his eyes he knew says froude he had a devil of a tongue and was unencumbered by the foolish form of vanity called modesty ixion in heaven the infernal marriage and papanilla were attempts to rival both lucian and swift on their own ground it is doubtful however whether he would have risked writing henrietta temple eighteen thirty seven and venetia eighteen thirty seven two ardent love stories had he not been in debt for notoriety as a novelist is not always a recommendation to a constituency in henrietta he found an opportunity to write the biography of a lover oppressed by duns it is a most entertaining novel even to a reader who does not read for a new light on the great statesman and is remarkable as the beginning of what is now known as the natural manner a revolt his admirers tell us from the stilted fashion of making love that then prevailed in novels venetia is founded on the characters of byron and shelley and is amusing reading the high-flown language encrusted with the gems of rhetoric excites our risibilities but it is not safe to laugh at disraeli in his most diverting aspects he has a deep sense of humor and he who would mock at him is apt to get a whip across the face at an unguarded moment mr disraeli laughs in his sleeve at many things but first of all at the reader he failed in his canvass for his seat at high wycombe but he turned his failure to good account and established a reputation for pluck and influence a mighty independent personage observed charles greville and his famous quarrel with o'connell did him so little harm that in eighteen thirty seven he was returned for maidstone his first speech was a failure the word had gone out that he was to be put down at last finding it useless to persist he said he was not surprised at the reception he had experienced he had begun several things many times and had succeeded at last 
then pausing and looking indignantly across the house he exclaimed in a loud and remarkable tone i will sit down now but the time will come when you will hear me he married the widow of his patron wyndham lewis in eighteen thirty eight this put him in possession of a fortune and gave him the power to continue his political career his radicalism was a thing of the past he had drifted from conservatism with peel for a leader to aristocratic socialism and in eighteen forty four eighteen forty five and eighteen forty seven appeared the trilogy as he styled the novels cunningsby tancred and sibyl of the three cunningsby will prove the most entertaining to the modern reader the hero is a gentleman and in this respect is an improvement on vivian gray for his audacity is tempered by good breeding the plot is slight but the scenes are entertaining the famous sidonia the jew financier is a favorite with the author and betrays his affection and respect for race lord monmouth the wild peer is a rival of the marquis of Steyne and worthy of a place in vanity fair the political intriguers are photographed from life the pictures of fashionable london tickle both the vanity and the fancy of the reader sibyl is too clearly a novel with a motive to give so much pleasure it is a study of the contrasts between the lives of the very rich and the hopelessly poor and an attempt to show the superior condition of the latter when the catholic church was all-powerful in england and the king an absolute monarch tancred was composed when disraeli was under the illusion of a possibly regenerated aristocracy he sends tancred the hero the heir of a ducal house to palestine to find the inspiration to a true religious belief and details his adventures with a power of sarcasm that is seldom equalled in certain scenes in this novel the author rises from a mere mocker to a genuine satirist tancred's interview with the bishop in which he takes that dignitary's religious tenets seriously that with lady constance when she explains the mystery of chaos and shows how the stars are formed out of the cream of the milky way a sort of celestial cheese turned into light the vision of the angels on mount sinai and the celestial sidonia who talks about the sublime and solacing doctrine of theocratic equality all these are passages where we wonder whether the author sneered or blushed when he wrote certainly what has since been known as the disraelian irony stings as we turn each page meanwhile disraeli had become a power in parliament and the bitter opponent of peel under whom catholic emancipation parliamentary reform and the abrogation of the commercial system had been carried without conditions and almost without mitigations disraeli's assaults on his leader delighted the liberals the country members felt indignant satisfaction at the deserved chastisement of their betrayer with malicious skill disraeli touched one after another the weak points in a character that was superficially vulnerable finally the point before the house became peel's general conduct he was beaten by an overwhelming majority and to the hand that dethroned him descended the task of building up the ruins of the conservative party disraeli's best friends felt this a welcome necessity 
there is no example of a rise so sudden under such conditions his politics were as much distrusted as his serious literary passages but disraeli was the single person equal to the task for the next twenty-five years he led the conservative opposition in the house of commons varied by short intervals of power he was three times chancellor of the exchequer eighteen fifty three eighteen fifty eight and eighteen fifty nine and on lord darby's retirement in eighteen sixty eight he became prime minister in eighteen seventy having laid aside novel writing for twenty years he published lothair it is a politico-religious romance aimed at the jesuits the fenians and the communists it had an instantaneous success for its author was the most conspicuous figure in europe but its popularity is also due to its own merits we are all of us snobs after a fashion and love high society the glory of entering the splendid portals of the real english dukes and duchesses seems to be ours when disraeli throws open the magic door and ushers the reader in the decorations do not seem tawdry nor the tinsel other than real we move with pleasurable excitement with lothair from palace to castle and thence to battlefield and scenes of dark intrigue the hint of the love affair with the olympian theodora appeals to our romance the circumventing of the wily cardinal and his accomplices is agreeable to the anglo-saxon protestant mind their discomfiture and the crowning of virtue in the shape of a rescued lothair married to the english duke's daughter with the fixed church of england views is what the reader expects and prays for and is the last privilege of the real story-teller that the author has thrown aside his proclivities for romanism as he showed them in sibyl no more disturbs us than the eccentricities of his politics we do not quite give him our faith when he is most in earnest talking semitic arianism on mount sinai a peerage was offered to him in eighteen sixty eight he refused it for himself but asked queen victoria to grant the honor to his wife who became the countess of beaconsfield but in eighteen seventy six he accepted the rank and title of earl of beaconsfield the author of vivian gray received the title that burke had refused his last novel endymion was written for the ten thousand pounds its publishers paid for it it adds nothing to his fame but is an agreeable picture of fashionable london life and the struggles of a youth to gain power and place lord beaconsfield put more dukes earls lords and ladies more gold and jewels more splendor and wealth into his books than any one else ever tried to do but beside his oriental delight in the display of luxury it is interesting to see the effect of that orientalism when he describes the people from whom he sprang his rare tenderness and genuine respect are for those of the race that is the aristocracy of nature the purest race the chosen people he sends all his heroes to palestine for inspiration wisdom dwells in her gates another aristocracy that of talent he recognizes and applauds no dullard ever succeeds no genius goes unrewarded it is the part of the story-teller to make his story a probable one to the listener 
no matter how impossible both character and situation mr disraeli was accredited with the faculty of persuading himself to believe or disbelieve whatever he liked and did he possess the same power over his readers these entertaining volumes would lift him to the highest rank the novelist attains as it is he does not quite succeed in creating an illusion and we are conscious of two lobes in the author's brain in one sits a sentimentalist in the other a mocking devil end of section twenty two